I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. If you love Theosophia and appreciate our content, consider donating on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com and search for Theosophia. Happy Pride Month, y'all. I hope your weekend was filled with love and laughter and celebration like mine was. This week is round two with the Reverend Dr. Dean Emily Towns. Emily is currently the Dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School and E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Professor of Womanist Ethic and Society. Today we talk faith and politics and wrestle with the question of can and should our faith be political? We get into Emily's take on this question, especially as it relates to theological education and her post as Dean of a Divinity School. She dropped some serious wisdom bombs in this episode, y'all. Y'all are going to love it. Here's Dean Emily Towns. Well, now let's tap into that a little bit here. I want to switch and talk about politics and faith with you. And the genesis of this question, just so you know where my mind's been, this came up for me. Okay, so, gosh, when was the Women's March? Like um, last February. February? I think it was February. No, well, maybe it was March. 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 March 20th. Yeah, because that's the Women's Month or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I go to the Women's March with uh, an Episcopal priest who I've become good friends with here. Great guy. He, um, he's now the vicar at the Episcopal high school here in Oklahoma city that I Mm -hmm. was substitute teaching at, Uh um, before I got my full-time job at at my old high school, which were rivals, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Anyways, so we take some pictures at the women's March and whatever. And he, he posts some pictures on Facebook and said, this is why I marched. You know, a lot of people would do that on social media. Here's why I marched. And they'd give, you know, a specific reason. And his was, you know, I'm very compelled by the Me Too, Me Too movement. And I um, want to stand in solidarity with my sisters and blah, blah, blah. Like super positive, like mm-hmm. just saying he loves women and he doesn't think they should be, you know, sexually abused and whatever. Right. So anyways mostly good comments were happening and I'm tagged on it cause I'm in the picture. So I'm seeing comments roll in on it and somebody, some, I don't know, Episcopalian, um, writes in that, and you gotta know, you know, obviously in Oklahoma, Episcopalians come in all forms, shapes and sizes, right. just, just like the Baptists, right? We got mm-hmm. super conservative, super liberal and everything in between. Mm-hmm. so this guy was probably you know i don't even know where this guy is but all i know is that he was angry that father tim sean was at the uh, march and he made some comments about how he didn't think priests or clergy should be involved in politics and this is why our churches are declining <laughs> so okay i was like what? And so I, I back up my, my brother, you know, I jump in there and I don't usually do this on Facebook, but like, you're going after my priest. Like I was mad. Mm -hmm. And I, 
started making comparisons of, you know, how about priests and pastors we care about who've been political? And, you know, not too long ago in January, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, anyway, so I make this example and try to, like, argue that, you know, pastors are always political. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it doesn't really get anywhere. All this to say, it stirred my mind of talking about faith and politics. And I think we just have a difficult time putting language and conceptualizing what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just, especially in the, <clears throat> just given our history of church and state being separate, but yet even now in our political climate today, evangelicals on the rise and saying Trump is, you know, God's ordained leader. Like there's mm-hmm. so many ways in which politics and faith are just meshing all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I think the first entry point into this is I wanted your thoughts on should faith be political at mm-hmm. all? Mm-hmm. Um, and why or why not? And if so, how? Mm. In what ways mm-hmm. should it be? Well, you know, I think um, when you you're, when you use the word political, I always want to qualify it before I start talking about it. Definitely. And um, for me, what politics and political means is that we are in an interdependent. Um, relationship with each other in which we have to figure out how are we going to get along or not? Right. Uh, how are we going to create um, communities um, that help people flourish and all those sorts of things? So when I start from that viewpoint, there's not much under the sun that isn't touched by politics. Um, because the religious life is a part of the ways in which we organize ourselves, the way we find meaning, the way we make meaning. Um, And for those of us who are within the Christian tradition, at least, it's the only one I'm competent really to talk about. It's um, our relationships uh, as communities of faith are built on having to figure out how we're going to get along, therefore the political. Now, often when people are talking about faith and politics, they mean um, the two-party system and throw some religion in. Right. I never think that's a good idea. First of all, <laughs> you don't just throw religion in. <laughs> Um, religion, um, as I think all the ways that we um, use to help shape us, is not, a, is not an additive. It should be intricately woven into the fabric of who we are mm-hmm. and what we do. And so when, when, um, when you talk about faith and politics, I think it happens. Uh, Baptists are very strong in the separation between church and state, and then we don't act like it. Right. Um, <clears throat> on the regular. <laughs> so, so for me to say that you know there is a separation between church and state, that's I'm sort of doing it in a in an ironic posture. 
because it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. We see things in the world that upset our understanding of how we are to be with one another through the teachings we've been, um, um, we've learned through the church. Um, you know, I was raised, you stand up when you see somebody being hurt or harmed. You say something when you feel people aren't being honest and true. Those are religious values. Right. Telling the truth, um, living your faith, being a witness. Now, the challenge for me becomes what happens when I put that in conversation with people who come from other religious traditions and other religious beliefs? Right. How do we then figure out how we're going to get along? That is the big challenge of faith for me. Mm -hmm. um, that we tend to think that we're being pristine and um, not engaging in politics when we're the ones talking. And when other people are talking, they're the ones being political. So we're not even being honest and true right. to what's going on. So for me, I, I, just want, I just want people to admit, and I want myself to admit, I care because I have been shaped by a powerful gospel message of hope and salvation. Mm -hmm. That it's not just my possession, but it's something that I'm supposed to share with others. Right. Um, if that means I'm engaged in the political process, so be it. But I also need to be well aware that other folks are going to be doing the same thing and coming up with different solutions. Right. So the real challenge then becomes how do we work together? How do we listen to one another? How do we, if we can, find a third way or a middle way right. um, that is much more open and caring and loving um, towards each other? Right. So how do you see clergy being involved in politics specifically? I don't believe you should ever stand up in anybody's pulpit and give a political message about a candidate, right. about a referendum or anything right. else. That is not what the pulpit is for. Right. However, if you want to be on um, a picket line or attending a board meeting or a council meeting and speaking from your perspective mm -hmm. as a person of faith and how you see this having an impact on the community, on the city, on the state, whatever, I think do it. Mm -hmm. Do it. But always do it. And here's where the hard part comes. Do it with a sense of both humility and listening to others. Right. Right. Because none of us have the corner on righteousness. Mm. We just don't. Mm -mm. Um, and um, allowing God to speak 
and more importantly for us to listen is really crucial. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like my entire education at Vanderbilt taught me to care about the public and what was going on. Mm -hmm. Right. And to be more mindful of the world around me and how I could use my gifts and talents in the church and out of the church to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and kind of a, a little bit of a theology of liberation, you know, having, I, I do, I think I want to believe God has a perhaps a preferential option for the poor and those in need. And maybe the church can be a place that can make those people and spaces better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like one of the cool things about our school is that it's called the school of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And I, when I learned that, I was like, wow, like this is, this is asking me asking something of me. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't sure was there, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or what, what that would mean. But just, just the thought, and I love your comments on this, just what it means to be the school of the prophets. I think it, it totally has to do with being, in the public, being political, our faith mm-hmm. being inherently political to me. Mm-hmm. But how does, how do you understand it? Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a 19th century convention, the school of the prophets. <laughs> and uh, uh, Alexander Hurd first called Vanderbilt, the school of the prophets. Um, he was the, third chancellor, I think. Um, and, it, and it stuck. And every time I've, I've been here long enough to be a part of at least two faculty conversations about School of the Prophets and do we continue to use it or not. And interestingly enough, um, the one time the faculty was sort of sounding like it might say, yeah, let's, let's just bag this. It was students who said, no, it's still, it's still important for us. Yeah. Um, and, um, right now I'm in a, um, a temporary office across the walkway from the school in Garland Hall and my my window view is the spire of Benton Chapel uh-huh. so I see the school in a way I normally don't see it if right. I'm sitting inside and it really has me thinking a lot about what it means what what the divinity school has to mean in a world like what we've got today yeah and if we cannot um i think i said it in my charge to the graduates we we're not supposed to be the poster children for the status quo or yeah the doom and gloom or or something like that yeah um and that's what being school of profitorum is all about supposed to speak the truth 
um, even in the midst of hard times like these. And I think it's still true for us that that is um, absolutely a thing we've got to hold on to um, as a school and as people who cast our lot with the school, whether it be students, staff, or faculty. Uh, it's important. Mm -hmm. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like one of the things you also said in your charge, and I think you said it when I was there too, because you say this a lot in your writing about the school and your vision for the education and what we'll do with it when we leave is to have <clears throat> and I, I feel like I talk about this a lot whenever I, I'm on other people's podcasts, but I'm not trying to just deconstruct things, but I, I also, mm -hmm. the best thing I can really do is to construct things. Mm -hmm. And I can't just be an angry feminist all the time, but I am a Christian. I do profess faith and I do have a, a Christian hope, but it's an ornery hope. And I mm -hmm. love how you, <laughs> you name it an ornery hope. Uh, to never stop kind of irritating or agitating. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's part of uh, my goal with this podcast was to do, to do that work that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but can you say more about that, that ornery hope? Mm. Yeah. It's something I started working with the notion of orneriness actually the full fra phrasing is colored orneriness. Ah. Um, uh, when did I, I think that's started working with that notion a couple of years ago. I've been playing around with it every once in a while in uh, public talks. Um, and, and what I'm trying to get at is a, uh, um, a robust, deep, deeply driven faithfulness, despite the temptations of giving up or giving in, mm -hmm. because it just gets so hard some days. Um, that's what I'm trying to get at with it. Mm -hmm. And when I, um, when I use it in terms of colored orneriness, I'm, I'm talking about what is it that black women who call themselves womanists are trying to do in changing the world for the better. Um, sure, there's the old phrase, you catch more bees with honey mm -hmm. than with salt, but sometimes you need some salt. Right. <laughs> And, okay, if if that's the case, then what kind of salt should we be? Yeah. Is it the refining kind of salt that purifies and helps preserve and change for the better? Or is it, you know, the um, table salt? Mm -hmm. Doesn't do much except drive up your uh, blood pressure. Right. So, uh, you know, I think uh, that's what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. that that sense of refiner's fire mm -hmm. um in the midst of 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 what we what we see in front of us and around us um 
every day these days. It, it doesn't let up. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm like, really? This is however many days of this ridiculous stuff yeah. again? Yeah. So what's your, what would your hope be? And this is kind of like probably what a lot of what you said in your charge to the students each mm -hmm. year, you know, in commencement or excuse me, graduation. Um, mm -hmm. What, what's your hope for the next generation of clergy or religious mm -hmm. and spiritual leaders? Mm -hmm. I want you to transform the world. <laughs> I really do. I mean that seriously. I don't want to just change it. <laughs> I, I, I want it transformed because we've gotten into such a sorry state that um, only transformation will do. Mm -hmm. um, you, you aim high and if you miss it, you've aimed, you're still going to hit a lot higher than you would if you settled for mediocre. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's, that's my, that's my hope for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I certainly, when I look out at the graduating class, <laughs> um, Professor Marbury uh, came up to me after um, several of us had to go over to the Magnolia Lawn to hood our PhD students. And um, he was one of them. And uh, uh, I was too, but they gave me a golf cart so I could get there faster <laughs> because they knew I couldn't leave until the service was over. Right. Um, and uh, he came up to me and, and he, he said, I'm really sorry I had to leave in the middle. Of, I had to get up and leave in your, the middle of your charge, but. I was getting these texts from my student that they were going faster than they thought. And I just started laughing and he's like, well, I apologize. I know her, but I don't look at the faculty when I'm doing the charge. <laughs> I'm looking at the graduating class. I, I don't even realize you all are there. <laughs> I mean, I know you are, but I just, this isn't for you. Right. You all get to listen in. Maybe you get a little hint or two of things you should do. But right. this really is for the graduating class. This is my last word I can say to them. Right. Um, and I want to keep it short and to the point because I don't want people drifting off sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, he's like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, I guess everything that I've, Divinity School prepared me for was to be able to, I guess, be involved in the public, be involved in politics, not maybe directly, not being like a politician, right? Mm -hmm. but, but being able to, um, and I think that's where the nuance was missed with mm -hmm. this man mm -hmm. posting on Father Tim Sean's Facebook page yeah. was that we're supposed to speak uh, 
as spiritual leaders on public issues. Like, I don't, I don't know whenever that wasn't a thing, even in the the biblical text is the most sharp example. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's so cool about being called the school of the prophets is that, you know, the prophets were people mostly in the most recognizably in the Hebrew scriptures calling the people out and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. talking about God's righteousness or God's judgment or whatever. But just talking about God really. Um, Mm -hmm. And so doing that in the public to me is inherently political. And if I'm, I'm if the church isn't talking about things that are going on, for instance, the me too movement or black lives matter, then what Mm -hmm. are we, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like just sitting around. It's like, I don't, you know, it just doesn't, at least my theological education has given me that insight as, Mm -hmm. as that I should be, helping translate in your words, transform the world. Mm-hmm. And if the church can't do that, then I, it just seems like we're, you know, serving our own egos. And that's not really what I, I read the gospel message as and neither what my, all my education has prepared me for. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a reason why we have the commitments and what they are mm-hmm. um, because it's it's and, and when I talk to people about it who may not have heard of, of them or are asking about them I say you know the thing you have to keep in mind is that these are not social issues these are theological problems mm. and um, that's how we approach them Mm-hmm. That's what we mean when we say racism or sexism or heterosexism or homophobia, or transphobia or mm-hmm. environmental degradation or uh, talking about income inequalities. You know, all the things, they are not just social issues. They are theological problems mm-hmm. that we as people of faith must engage mm-hmm. um, and do something about it, not just talk about it. Right. Because there's a lot of people who can talk <laughs> and do. <laughs> but um, we're supposed to take it that next step and right. do something. Right. The last thing I wanted to ask you about um, to wrap this part up. Mm-hmm. I loved your your play on that metaphor of the mass dropping <clears throat> and, mm-hmm. and the commencement that was brilliant um but i wanted i wanted you to give your take on the the layers of meaning to that um Mm -hmm. and what that means for for us going forward Mm -hmm. well interestingly enough I really wasn't trying to use it as a layered metaphor. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I was really, I, you know, when I st- about January of every year, I begin to listen differently to the things going on around me because I know I have to get the, to give this charge. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, I was 
uh, I was on a plane somewhere. I don't even know where. Um, where it just struck me, and it it had every time I hear it, I'm like, the first time I heard, it's like, wait a minute, you're supposed, to, aren't you supposed to help others first and then yourself? And yeah, no, they flip it, and so finally, um, several years ago, it clicked. But I still think about it every time. I'm aware the announcement is being made. Yeah. And uh, this January, it, it hit me again. That is something I think I might want to work with. Mm-hmm. The fact that in order to take care of others, you have to take care of yourself. Right. Um, now, if I had more time, I would have done more with uh, playing out of that. But um, what I was trying to to get at is is the notion those na- masks only drop when there's a crisis, right? And so. What I was trying to say is, we're in crisis. <laughs> this right. is not time for playing around, y'all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's really what I, that was all I was trying to get at. Uh, but you are not alone in saying, you know, that was really something that yeah. you did, and I, I just smile and say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, I, that wasn't what I was trying to do. But I'm glad. <laughs> That others could take it further than what I was trying to do with it. Okay. Which is just get the word out. We're in trouble, y'all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, Kelsey and I were talking about, we're like, oh my God, there's just so much there. And she thought about it this way. I thought about it that way. So, I mean. And you're not wrong to do that. I mean, any any good metaphor will do that. Oh, sure. I didn't realize uh, I didn't realize what I was unleashing when I did it though. <laughs> so it's fun oh, well. about being a theologian, talking to a bunch of theologians, you know, mm-hmm. we're always going to take it further. As you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dean Towns. Oh, you're welcome. You're awesome. Oh, thanks. So are you. <laughs> I'm I'm really just thrilled at watching mm. watching folks do what they do yeah. um, once once they leave us. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Dean Towns, for taking the time to enrich our lives with your wise words and loving spirit. I encourage you all to look up some of Emily's work, especially on womanist ethics. One of my favorites is entitled Womanist Ethics and the Cultural Production of Evil. And it's a very relevant book today, given our political and social climate. So check that out. Next week, I sit down with a fellow Oklahoman, Becky Seville, who's a scientist, a podcaster, and a Nazarene. Until then, rate and review us on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on all social media outlets and visit our website, Theosophia podcast, and you can find us at theologycorner.net. Peace, y'all.